1: yourself. I got an interesting email this week. He says, thank you for taking my email in question. My girlfriend
0: and I are really having difficulty with sex. Now, I know I'm to blame for this because I had a sexual affair with several of her friends. And she has not been able to be with me and to be happy. But she won't leave. I know it sounds like I want her to leave, and I don't. But I also don't want to be the reason that she stays and tortures herself with everything that I have done to her. Please advise. So, you know... This is very, very well, it is truly what I know that partners can do. They love the addict, they want to stay with the addict. They know that this is a sickness, and so they are willing to do what it takes to hang in there. And yet, the truth of the matter is, you're not happy. They appear tortured. Um, They have ruminating thoughts. They have what we call trauma brain. They've been traumatized. And now they can't make any decisions because the executive functioning of the prefrontal cortex has been severely affected. So what do I do to help a couple? Well, I'm sure most of you know if you've read Help Her Heal the Empathy Workbook for Sex Addicts to Help Their Partners Heal, that I believe it's important for him to understand what she is going through neurologically. Because when he understands what's going on neurologically and the fact that she's having trouble making decisions and the fact that she is emotionally dysregulated and the fact that she feels rejection in a way that he can't even imagine... He will hang in there while she stabilizes and feels safe. Now, how does she feel safety and stabilization? Well, she has to get with a good therapist that understands her trauma. She has to decide does she want to know the entire truth, which is the disclosure. This could be followed By an emotional impact letter or a restitution letter, what also needs to happen is that she needs to decide what are her boundaries. And boundaries can look like a myriad of things. Boundaries typically center around the person wanting a sense of safety, a commitment to consistency. Um, A partner typically wants authenticity, honesty, and transparency. And this means that you can't lie about anything. You shouldn't lie about your taxes. You shouldn't overhear you lying to a um, client and saying that, you know, I just recently had this happen last week. I had a partner say, oh, I just lose so much respect when he lies. I said, what do you mean? And she goes, well, he was telling a client that he didn't have the information, that his company had not gotten that to him. And the truth of the matter was his company did get that to him. And I would have much rather have him be accountable and say, you know what, I dropped the ball on this. And if you'll give me six hours, I'll get it together, I will figure it out, and I'll get back with you. So the partner really wants him to work on the tools of recovery that start with honesty. That's at the foundation of any good recovery program. And I've got to ask you, as an addict, whether you're in a relationship or not, you have spent years and years and years and years lying. You've either lied to others, you've lied to your partner, you've lied to your family, or you've lied to yourself. That's called denial. And truly, the first recovery task that Patrick Carnes talks about is that you need to break that denial. There is no reason under any circumstance for you to lie. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that the average person does lie. Not an addict. But the average person. They may tell a white lie, they may tell a tiny lie, they may lie by omission. And it's never good to lie. But the other thing that we know is that if you're betrayed, or if you're an addict in recovery and you don't have anybody, when you lie to yourself, as if you started all over in your recovery I worked with a man who was really having difficulty um, with his recovery from cocaine and meth and sex addiction and they went hand in hand when he got high he went out and when he went out he purchased sex and He was doing relatively well, but he was in a halfway house, and he sat down to his meeting, and he was four minutes late. Well, the leader was late. Not the leader, but, you know, the person that starts the meeting. And so the leader apologized and then said, how many of you were late with me? And he did not raise his hand. And he said, I sat there in that meeting perseverating the entire time, ruminating about the fact that I had lied, that I had been afraid to be honest, that I had already spiraled down that slippery slope of if I'll lie about this, what else might I lie about? And as a result, he was out finding a transgender prostitute the next afternoon. And he had several, several, several months of recovery. But that little lie was a big lie. Because any lie is a big lie. And it started him down the spiral of shame. And only an addict will understand how that can work against you. And oftentimes for addicts, they lie about it. It doesn't bother me. Oh, that wasn't a big deal. You know what? What she doesn't know won't hurt her. What I say to myself won't hurt me. You know, they minimize and rationalize and justify their reactions, their accountability. But all of a sudden, they don't have that integrity. So now, what do you do if you want good integrity? Well, I got to tell you, you maintain boundaries. You maintain boundaries for yourself and if you're involved with anybody else, you maintain boundaries for them. You work a solid recovery program. You know, you see a therapist or a ten group, do the twelve steps or whatever work is involved in the group that you're in. You have a mentor, a guide, or a sponsor that leads you through the program. And you have fellowship with others because what we know to be true is that what occurs in fellowship, the intimacy that is built in fellowship, wow, that then affects every other relationship that the addict is involved with. You read books about sex addiction so that you know this is a neurobiological, psychosocial problem, and you practice daily healthy outer circle behaviors. Why? Because your life needs to be balanced. And I don't know about you, but COVID has put this universe out of balance and into balance. And isn't that just the way life is? I mean, if you look at your life, you may be working like a banshee, harder than you've ever worked before. Or you may not have anything to do but focus on yourself, your family, and your household because you may be out of a job or you may be furloughed. And the truth of the matter is When that happens, it is so important, so important to make the best of that time. Now, I'm 64, and I say I'm the the grandmother of sex addiction. And if the truth be known, people that know me cannot believe I'm 64. And people that don't know me can believe it they don't know my energy and they don't know my personality and they don't know what I love to do. And what I have found from this whole COVID experience is that I telehealth and I despise telehealth. Because I'm a people person and I get my energy from people and I get that energy from them being in the room. Even when they're in pain I get that energy. And I certainly see all that through telehealth, but I'm looking at a screen. A screen is dividing me. And I remember when I first started doing early couples recovery work via Zoom, and I said, this is the greatest thing in the world because I am focused on what I'm seeing right in front of me, their facial expressions, how they postured themselves, what they're doing. And that is absolutely true. But when you do eight, 10, or 12 hours in a row, for me, it depletes me. It depletes me so much that when my family says, let's do Zoom, I'm like, no, I cannot stand to do another hour of looking at the screen. I get up, and I am sore. And I do the same amount of therapy in an office in a recliner. I've got the coolest recliner in the world. I'm a big believer in put your feet up and get comfy. But I walk 10,000 steps to get my clients throughout the day. It's a big office building. And I've had clients that have said, hey, if I can see you coming down the hall, I'll just get up and come running. And I go, no, don't you dare. I need that exercise. The deal is that my body is being affected by my inactivity because I don't have as much to walk. So what am I doing? Well, even though I'm sore, I'm not that sore. I'm working out probably mm, 10 to 14 times a week. I'm getting extra movement by extra walks. I'm working out extra extra long. And I'm doing as many physical activities as I can on my nights off or my weekends off. I'm a big believer in outer circle behaviors. And that means that I so much desire paddleboarding, rollerblading, bike riding, you know, all those extras, tennis. So be thinking about your outer circle behaviors and what you can do during this time of stress to make your life better. Why? Because when you make your life better and enrich your life, you are much more likely to lead the life you deserve. And you know, at the end of every show, I say there'll only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. And I also want to say, and lead the life you deserve. Now, tonight, I am interviewing Jennifer Irwin, who wrote this novel about female sex addiction. And the thing is, she did a lot of research and she has her own personal story, and so she's going to be talking about why she wrote the book, what she found out about sex addiction, was there any love addiction involved in that, and um, what kind of reactions she has gotten from the public. And what I know is that it is super important for people to understand what it's like to be a female sex addict because that oftentimes doesn't get talked about. There is a stigma about that. So I've got to ask you, what do you know about sex and love addiction? What do you know about female sex addiction? There used to be a huge stigma about it, and now what we know to be true is that women all over the world are talking about how this addiction played out in their life. And so Jennifer Irwin has written this book called Address the Color of the Sky, and she's going to be talking about how sex addiction can numb the pain of trauma in the past. So I want to welcome thoroughly Jennifer Irwin to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. How are you, Jennifer?
2: I'm great. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm I'm truly honored.
0: Well, I am truly honored that you wrote this incredible novel that as I was reading it felt like it was your story. I'm certainly not saying that, but I mean, it was so Mm -hmm. raw. It was so well done. And so I I've just got lots and lots of questions for you. Um, oh, and good. I love
2: questions.
0: <laughs> so now what made you come up with an idea of writing about a female sex addict? We all know that sex addicts tend to be men, although more and more women are coming out of the woodwork saying, that's me too.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I came up with the concept Um, I was teaching Pilates um, to women a lot of women different women really getting to know them hearing their stories Um, and while I was teaching Fifty Shades of Grey came out and I was really fascinated with how that that book kind of titillated a lot of marriages and the women were really loving the story and just how much it it really uh, sort of recharged their sexual batteries so to speak um, and around the same time, Tiger Woods was coming out of a sex addict and a lot of other people and there was um, a television show with uh, a, a psychiatrist talking to sex you know a lot of male sex addicts and you just kept hearing about it and then I thought, well, you know, could a woman be a sex addict and I, I knew that um, I had had a traumatizing childhood and was going through a divorce and kind of thought, well, how does that you know, come out of me and my future? Like, how does it evolve from a childhood, a traumatic childhood to marrying the wrong person and then, you know, maybe kind of evolving into enjoying sex too much or disassociating your body with your heart and those kinds of things. So I came up with this character and um, she's really endearing. Um, She's highly flawed and uh, people just, my readers just love her.
0: That is super interesting. And let me ask you, because obviously you said you had a lot of experiences working with women. Um, you did a great deal of research to create this therapeutic uh, environment for the protagonist in the debut novel, Address, The Color of the Sky. Now, you say that this book is about 45% Based on your life and obviously you mm-hmm. just alluded to the trauma in her childhood
2: mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. well okay so a my bit. father was um, a, was a drug addict and so I did experience mm-hmm. under, you know the addiction and understanding how addiction really changes more than just the addict. It changes the whole family and the dynamic of the family. Um, I, did, I checked my father into rehab, and I got, went for family week and experienced it in, when I was in college. Uh, I had put – one of my kids um, went through rehab for um, a, a severe weed situation that he was going through. Um, so during that time, I was – actually, it was very, very helpful to me because I couldn't have a meal with him – um, without another recovered addict being with us. So I got to hear all their stories and uh, very much understood the recovery process, how, um, what happens in rehab. I also did um, a retreat through the Meadows, which is one of the only um, um, places that treats sex addiction. And um, I read all the books. I interviewed a lot of um, therapists who are sex addiction specialists and just kind of became an expert as much as I could as a lay person and just a writer, because I did want it to be realistic. And I was hoping that my book would sort of take away the stigma and fear of what people picture happening in a treatment facility.
1: That's
0: great. And so your character, Prudence, um, goes through a variety of experiences. And can you talk about you know, what her life was like and um, how she numbed herself or medicated her feelings with sex.
2: Um, So Prudence had a very traumatizing childhood and as a result she had a broken man picker um, and she basically... I ended up marrying someone that could not really express love, but they actually had a very sexually active relationship and that left her incredibly empty and made her feel like sex was the only way she could get love from her husband. And, in, and I think after throughout the book and the way I placed the years and years of that going on, that she Disassociated her heart and her sexual being, and kind of, just, and and most women actually bond when they have sex, but Prudence disassociated, and that's kind of what people do, and what I did um, as as a, ch- a, a, a a victim of abuse. You can kind of bury it. And, and hide it and kind of tuck it away and and it comes out in different ways you know different because you can only bury that kind of trauma for so long before it just reveals itself um, as toxic things in your body and whatnot so um, you know and i did I did kind of relate to prudence and I, and my marriage was very similar to that um, there wasn't a lot of love and so and and how that made me feel as a woman and um, I, you know, I, I guess I – what was just really interesting for me is so many readers have said they related to her and they, um, and they were surprised that they did. So I just – I don't think it was that far off base from what, what a lot of women have experienced in their life.
0: Well, that makes a lot of sense. And so, again, what a blend of the research you did in addition to your own personal life. And I'm sure it's really fun for listeners to hear, you know, how you decided to write about a female sex addict. And I'm wondering what research did you discover that helped you to write this book? And, you know, what hope, strength, and recovery can you give to women who have sex addiction?
2: Mhm. Um, Well, I, I honestly... Um... I'm kind of fascinated um, by the idea that I think people at times can, can think that women aren't as sexual as men, but I, I don't believe that's the case at all, and I, and especially just getting to know a lot of women teaching Pilates um, of all ages and all socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, I think women are very sexual. They're just not as blatantly sexual, And and the way they deal with things is a little different than the way men do. So that was something... That I was really fascinated by, and at the same time, um, I I feel that addiction is something that's plaguing our our country right now. Um, I don't. I think there's a lot of shame attached to it. There's a lot of shame attached to if you're a parent and your child has an addiction problem, or you're a child and your parent has one, or your spouse. And I I really wanted to just sort of crack that open and. And, and do as much research and as much reading and and at the same time I was healing myself, um, which was really kind of amazing because I knew that if I didn't heal I would end up with another person like the the person I married I would end up I would I would just go right back into that hole that I had already fallen into um, and and. So one of the things that I wanted to also do is give hope to people that have had traumatic childhoods, that have had traumatic experiences, and give them hope that you can heal. Um, a lot of this is based, a lot of, I think, sex addiction is based on self-loathing and, and, and not respecting yourself and feeling really bad about yourself. Um, and from what I understood when I was doing research is, it's a lot of the for and uh, most addictions. It's the buildup to that, not necessarily when you actually do the act that you feel high. So I have Prudence getting ready for texting, sexting, the things that build up to that moment. Because once she actually did the act, it was a, it was kind of a letdown because she's so disassociated with her body and her heart. Um, so. I think just for me going to a retreat and and, and getting really deep into my own um, child abuse and, and trauma and, and seeing that I'm not alone and, and finding hope in myself, I wanted to create a story that gave others hope as well. And I always say in interviews, you know, you're the expert. I'm not the expert, but I'm just a writer and I had a story to tell. And it has been really... Um, cathartic and touching for me, how many people have um, reached out to me and, and told me this book has changed their life. And, and men too. I mean, so many men have written reviews and I was definitely not my target audience at all. So it's, it's been just a really beautiful experience. Um, the reviews have been unparalleled on Amazon and, and Goodreads. So people are definitely enjoying the story and finding it relatable. And it is a little hard to read it, um, it is kind of a painful story, but at the same time, there is hope there as well.
0: Oh, absolutely. So would you describe to our listening audience what the difference or similarities may be between a, a male sex addict and a female sex
2: addict? <laughs> um, you know, I <clears throat> I do believe that um, – me- women pr- i don't know about the shame with a man or how much shame a man feels um i think that th- with men there are things like the massage parlors and the strip clubs that you don't really see so many women getting you know into that situation um and mm-hmm. and at the meadows they do have different groups and some of those groups are are very separated the, the men that are into voyeurism and into um, going to massage parlors and, and porn addicts and things like that, women for I think for a woman um, it 's more a shame based kind of revenge and, and although it doesn 't seem like having sex with no strings attached, attached is revenge, but it's it 's this way that your brain makes you feel like you 're getting revenge on others that have abused you, and so you, be, you detach and you have no emotions and you just keep going through these. Um, kind of dangerous situations in which you have a lot of anonymous partners or um, just to kind of feel better. And, and maybe they want more, but you're just detached. So, I mean, like I said, I'm not an expert, but this is just kind of from the people that I've interviewed and the therapist. And, um, you know, that's what I think the difference is, but I could be wrong. I, I, it's just what I've, I've kind of felt as, as someone that's um you've done some research. You know, you can correct me on that. I you know, maybe there really is no difference. I don't I don't know, but that's just what, what I what I've found from through my research.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Based on the research that you've done. And you know, I would agree with you in so many instances, men don't share the real feelings and vulnerabilities where women are a little bit better at doing that. And so Mm -hmm. when a woman gets into recovery, she's able to say, you know what? I um, exploited myself and exploited others because of the trauma reenactment that occurred Mm -hmm. from my childhood. And Mm -hmm. so female sex addiction, often is about trauma reenactment. And we know that men experience that too. But for females, there seems to be a real issue of woundedness. And that's why sometimes it's very difficult to determine, is this person suffering from female sex addiction or female sex and love addiction?
1: Um
2: hmm and mm-hmm. And so yeah that that was actually a big one <clears throat> that I learned about was the love addiction um, and And I think there's also um love avoidant, which is something mm-hmm. I had a problem with because I was taught for so many years in my marriage to not express love. So I became love avoidant, and it took me a long time to get past that. And I think also when you've had a traumatic childhood and you're spending every day fighting for your life, you have a lot of walls built up around you, and you've got to break those down. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of therapy and a lot of personal work to get those walls broken down. So you can open yourself up for, you know, first to find self-love and then to let someone love you and to be vulnerable enough to allow someone to love you.
0: One hundred percent. And so, again, the people that have read this book are really amazed at, you know, this story because it reads, it reads more like a documentary than a novel. I mean, it's a fantastic <laughs> novel, but it's like this person is really talking about a hundred percent what happened to her. I want to remind people that we're talking about Address the Color of the Sky, and I am speaking with Jennifer Irwin. And Jennifer, how can they get the book, and how might they get a hold of
1: you?
2: Oh, I just want, I do want to say that I am very open to talking to my readers, and I love hearing from my readers. Um, My book is available in all formats on Amazon. Um, you can get it, um, at Barnes and Noble, most very big bookstores that you'd have to special order to order it. Um, cause I did publish indie and, um, it has been kind of a little indie success story. My books won seven awards and has, um, I now have a literary agent. I have a film deal on the book. So there's just, it's, there's been a lot of blessings, um, that came with the story. It was very hard for me to write it because I did have to dig deep, um, and it does read like a memoir, like you said, uh, but at the same time, I had to step away from the character and make the story better because uh, when you're doing something, a, a work of fiction, you have to make things really bad for the protagonist and then make them even worse. So I stepped back from like the memoir-type situation and made a story that um, is kind of painful and poignant at the same time. It gives people hope, but... Um, it, it, it's a it's a story of unconditional of unconditional self love and how do you find that how do you heal from your childhood trauma and um, move forward to have healthy relationships with people and um, like I said it's been really um, a beautiful thing for me to hear from my readers and to to read all these reviews that people have written um, it's just it's just been so touching for me honestly and I, I'm so grateful to my readers. I'm just about to um, finish with a sequel because everyone wants to know what happens to her when she checks out of rehab. So yeah, there's going to be a, there's going to be book two. Oh,
0: so, and that's yeah. great. And, and I got to ask you a personal question: Did writing this story help heal you from your own childhood mm-hmm. trauma?
2: Yeah, I it really did, and. At the time that I was writing it, there was a lot of things going on, and um, the Me Too movement was just starting. Um, I remember Kelly Oxford tweeted her sexual assault story and asked some, asked everyone to share theirs on Twitter, and that alone motivated me to finish the book because obviously, I mean, I was a single mom, I was working full time, I was writing at night. It was a lot. It was, it was, you know, very discouraging. And trying to get a book picked up and, and the publishing world and what as an unknown writer. And having read through all these tweets that women had written um, about sharing their sexual assault story made me realize there are so many women out there who have had experiences that have. Been so painful for them. And what I realize is it doesn't matter what happened to you, how bad it is to someone else, it's how that changed you. How did that make you feel? And, and how did that change and shape who you are as a woman? And I, I just believe that this story had to get written and it was important to write. Um, and as I wrote it, I healed. And since then, I've had the I'm in a relationship, with, a very healthy relationship with a wonderful man, and it's been rigorously honest, which is another thing that's very difficult for addicts because they're always lying, you know, and always trying to, like, make things up and change the story and whatnot. Um, so mm-hmm. it's been and, – and I, you know, and I actually opened up about my um, personal experiences with child abuse and sexual assault. And that was very cathartic for me um, because it is, there is a lot of shame. And, and when you're a kid, you're told, it's your fault. You did it. You know, Don't tell anyone. Don't you know, reveal these secrets. And that takes a toll on your psyche. you know um, So it, it, the whole thing was very, very healing for me. And to this day, I, I, when I go do book readings and book signings, it's hard for me to read certain scenes because it makes me want to cry. I mean, I feel so much emotion still for this story. Um, and the cover, I will say, doesn't reflect the seriousness of the story, and that cover was designed by the film producer um, to make it look more commercial and whatnot. So don't let the cover fool you. It is not a romance novel, and it's a very serious story about healing and moving forward to find self-love and what the therapeutic process looks like.
0: Well, that makes a lot of sense. And so obviously... You have been through a lot with this book, and your readers have had a lot of questions for you. Now, I've got to ask you, what has been the biggest surprise since releasing your debut novel?
2: Well, I mean, obviously having someone want to make a movie out of it was a very, very exciting, um, surprising situation for me. But the biggest, I would say the biggest surprise has been all the men who have written reviews. I just had no idea that men would be appealing, find this book appealing, and be compelled to write a review. I would say over half of the reviews that have been written um, are written by men. So that means I'm tapping into a reader audience that I did not expect. And I feel um, that it's a really great book for men to read because it it does teach how, how a woman thinks, how a woman feels, and and what um, a female sex addict looks like. So it's just kind of neat. Well, that, that makes it so. very touching for me.
0: And so obviously you've referenced the fact that you've had had this film deal, and mm-hmm. your hope is that there is a production company that is going to pick up this book and create a movie from it.
2: Mm-hmm. I have a film option on it right now, so there's been an executive producer um, that has slated the film um, it, for the book to be into, made into a, of either a movie or a, a miniseries. Um, I think they're kind of leaning towards, um, towards the, making it like a limited series. So um, because the book goes back and forth in time, uh, they, it would be kind of well laid out to have the rehab scenes and then the childhood scenes sort of separated. Um, and, and that's the way that I wrote the book. I wanted, because Prudence is really poorly behaved and she has sort of surprising, shocking, you know, behavior, the book opens and she's having sex in the airplane bathroom on her way to rehab. And, um, but when you, when you read about her childhood and you feel the pain and experience what she's been through, that's when you root for her. And it's very fascinating to see how, People are like, at first I hated her, and I didn't want to go any further in the story. And then by the end, they're like, I love her. I want her to make it, you know. So it's really neat how I was able to kind of change people's perspectives.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I love that, believe it or not, you are in a community, the, the sex addiction and partner betrayal community, love stories like this. And it sounds like you're reaching beyond that. You're reaching everything person.
2: Oh, I, you know, I'm really grateful to be on your show because I feel that I haven't had the opportunity to really tap into, um, the addiction community and the recover, recovering addicts, um, who this book might help and they might see hope and kind of find their own stories in my book. Um, I, and I'm really grateful that you're giving this opportunity because it would be great. It, it would really mean a lot to me if I could help people that are in recovery or people that feel as though they're kind of spinning out of control. And maybe this book will help them in some way. Um, and and I'm all very available on social media, and I have a website, and I always respond to private messages. So anybody wants to reach out to me, and you know, they can just reach out to me on social media. Everything's all open.
0: Well, that's nice. It's great that you put yourself out there and you're that accessible to anybody who this book struck a chord or maybe they've been wondering what was wrong with them and they realized, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. this thing has a label and it's female sex addiction. And like you said, you were creating a sequel so that people can find out what happens to Prudence after she gets out of the treatment center and what yep. direction does the life take because it could take a zillion different uh directions
2: mm-hmm. so yeah and 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 I do think the addiction situation in our country is is pretty major and um rehab is uh it's it's not the the only answer i mean you have to do the work you have to work the program it only works if you work it so there's going to be people I'm taking some of the characters and moving them into book two. And some of them aren't going to make it. And some of them are, and you'll see why. And it will kind of all come together. Um, And I am, you know, addiction has affected me a lot in my life. And so um, I, you know, I was, like I said, my dad was a a drug addict and alcoholic. I married an alcoholic and I had to break that chain and, and stop being codependent and stop thinking I could save people. And, um, You know, there's a lot of that in the book as well, and codependence and um, all the different forms of addiction are in the book. So it's not just really sex addiction. So, um, yeah. So anyway, I'm just really grateful that you invited me to be on your show.
0: Well, I am grateful that you... um had a friend that contacted me and said, hey, Carol, <laughs> yeah. my friend has written this amazing book and that's all I needed to hear because there, uh. there isn't enough, you know, this is a novel, but it's very factual and there's not enough available to mainstream public about what this condition is like. And, you know, it's interesting, Jennifer, because we say that sex addiction is a process addiction and it's, by far, the toughest addiction to work out of. And so Mm -hmm. we'll be excited to hear how Prudence's life, um, how her life transforms after she gets out of that structure of Mm -hmm. an incredible treatment program like, uh, I know maybe that it's like based on the Meadows, but you call that Serenity Hills Rehab Center. Mm
1: -hmm. And... Mm -hmm.
0: You know, during the time when Prudence was in there, she blamed herself for her irresponsible behavior, and that created a lot of self-loathing. And what we know about any sex addiction is that it does create a lot of self-loathing. And you know, she was hooked up with a man who was very manipulative and kind of used her and she in turn used him and you start seeing that power differential back and forth. I mm-hmm. I really admire how much research you did. And, and, you know, our audience are recovering sex addicts, recovering partners, and then mm-hmm. clinicians and coaches all over the world. So I'm going to ask uh, you four questions before we end. I want to know okay. what would you say to partners after you did this research? What would you say to partners who love somebody that's in recovery from sex addiction?
2: Uh, you know I, that that is it's honestly something I've been thinking about ever since you asked me to be on the show because I know that you do treat um, the partners. It is a very painful. Uh, thing for partners to experience and to live with a sex addict because um, it feels so violating and personally violating for the partner. Um, it's very hard to forgive and very hard to understand. Um, that I, I, like I said, I don't believe this addiction is 100% really about sex. It's a, it's it's an outlet for something wrong in, that's happened in the past or something going on with a, a person's psyche. Um, and their self-esteem and self-worth. And I would just say from a partner standpoint that, like in any addiction, um, you have to have tough love. You have to um, not be codependent and um, understand that you cannot control another person. But if you do care about them, um, do the best you can to attend meetings, to be supportive, to attend therapy um, with them and without uh, and learn as much as you can, while at the same time having rigorous honesty and let, allowing your partner to to provide you with rigorous honesty, so you can move forward in your relationship. And understand there will be setbacks. Um, it, like you said, it's a very difficult addiction to treat and to recover from. So, um, but I, I just I, I think if you truly love someone and you and you believe that they they want to get better and you're seeing those. Signs of the work being done, um, there are setbacks. Just not take it per- as personally as it seems such a violation when someone you know, betrays the physical kind of bond of a relationship, but it really isn't a personal attack on you. And, and that's, that's really all that I can say. That, but it is hard, and I do feel for the partners because I know it's not easy at all.
0: Okay, and so, and I, what I know to be true, it's interesting, I just did a partner's post-traumatic growth course, and it's an online course on my website, Uh, and I have a male partner on there, and he talks about the fact that, you know, with a female sex addict, it is much more difficult to get resources for the male partner, and there's a stigma against men uh, being affected by female sex addiction. And that's a whole nother dynamic. So anybody who's listening that is in love with a female sex addict, we want you to know that we get that and that we're sure to help you or sure to support you because your pain is as great as anybody else's. Um, mm-hmm. So now I'm going to ask you, what would you tell a female sex addict In terms of your research, what can she hope for?
2: Um, I would say, if possible, um, to find a therapist like you who specializes in sex addiction. Um, They're they're out there. I know they're not in every city. Um, Definitely attend SAA meetings, females only, if possible. And if you can, check yourself into you know, rehab for five weeks, I highly recommend getting into a treatment program and finding the root of where it started and what emotions you were feeling. Um, there, you know, there is hope, there is help. There's so much shame attached to this addiction and, um, it's very hard to talk about and very shameful, but, um, I think that once you get through it, it's so worth it. And so, um, so beneficial to everyone around you, and I, you know, I just get the help that you can and, and keep working on it. And you're gonna stumble, but you, you know, if you keep doing the work, it will get better. That's you know, that's the only thing I can say. But also for the partners, the men um, that are living with female sex addicts, um, it's the same thing. It's it's you just have to try and love and try and keep the communication open and and get your own help because. There's a reason why you're with a sex addict. I, I do believe that both partners have to kind of do work. Well, that's just my opinion. but
1: yeah. yeah,
2: that's
0: great advice. And so I am so thankful for this book. Again, I am talking with Jennifer Erwin and she wrote this book, um, and it's a novel. It is not a memoir, but it reads like a memoir. And the, the book is called and I love the name of this book by the way. The book oh, is
2: called you. Address the Address of all the time? Sky. Yeah. Um yes. it's based on the fairy tale donkey skin and um it just resonated with me. So and I do love the title. It is a beautiful title and um so the sequel will be Address the Color of the Moon. Um and Mm -hmm. which is also in the fairy tale and it, it kind of matches the way the story um and and i work the title into the story so you you um as a reader will understand how i came up with that title and um you know i i love talking to book clubs and the first thing they always ask me is how much of this is true and um, I can, you know, I can write about divorce. I can write about being a child of an addict. I, you know, I can write about healing and going into recovery. And I am the, you know, my my own son had an addiction problem. So, you know, this is all really close to home for me. And I wrote from my heart. I don't write very flowery. I'm a very blunt kind of writer. The way I talk, so um, the story is easy to read and it's a fast read. But there's a lot there. There's definitely a lot there.
0: Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jennifer. And again, they oh, can get a you, hold Kara. of you through what website?
2: So JenniferIrwinAuthor.com. And all my social media links are on my website. And um, if you go on my Instagram, you can click email me. Um, you can email me from there. So private messages through any social media platform, but it's all either Jen Irwin Author or Jennifer Irwin Author. It's all Fair. Um, you Google me, and it, it all pops up. You'll you'll see it out there. So, um, and I just really appreciate you having me on the show. Um, I love supporting um, other people that are going through a hard time or trying to heal from their childhood trauma or a bad divorce or um, their child of an addict or whatever. It's just I really love helping people, and and through sharing my own my story.
0: Absolutely, and let us know when the sequel happens and also
2: <laughs> when that book deal
0: comes into fruition so that we can do um, just an amazing um, marketing campaign for the movie.
2: Oh, thank you so much. I'm, yeah, I'm really excited. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm, this is such a huge honor. At- Absolutely. Your writing is
0: wonderful. You take care and keep us posted, okay?
2: Okay. Thank you so much. Have a great night.
0: You too. So, again, that's Jennifer Irwin, and she has done an amazing job of writing about female sex addiction, and the book is called Address the Color of the Sky. All right. So, you know, good to read a novel when you're home isolated because of COVID and I just hope that you will take good care of yourself there's never a better time to practice intentional self-care and we will see you next week for more Sex Help Carol the Coach I've said it once tonight but I'll say it again there will only be one of you at all times Fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. Make it a good one.